Blessed be his holy name. Blessed be his holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Before you're seated, I'd like for us to have a special word of prayer. Uh, we're going to pray for Brother Fazel Colbreth. Uh, he, has, uh, he has been taken to the hospital uh, this past weekend and uh, was having chest pains and has had a variety of other symptoms that they have not been able to locate the reason for those symptoms. And uh, he had an appointment today, but really didn't get the answers there either that he was needing. So we need to take him before the Lord in prayer tonight. And uh, God is, uh, God has heavily anointed Brother and Sister Colbreth, and they're such a blessing uh, to all of us, and we love them so very much. Let's just call his name out before the Lord in prayer and ask God to move on his behalf. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we bring Brother Fazel Colbreth to you in prayer in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask for you to heal his body right now. Lord, he is fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the healer of all sickness and all disease. From the top of his head to the sole of his feet, Lord, we pray for a healing virtue to flow. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray that you would take away every pain. We pray that you would put in order all things according to your perfect will. Lord, do it, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and you shall raise them up. And we call upon your healing power, hallelujah, to touch Brother Colbreth's body, we pray in the name of Jesus. Be with Sister Colbreth, Lord, and their children, I pray. Oh, God, give them victory. Give them victory. Give them joy. Increase their faith. And let them feel the closeness of your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord for the victory. Let's shout unto God for the victory. Come on, that's it. Let's shout unto God for the victory. Praise the holy name of the Lord Jesus. Praise the holy name of the Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. I want to say how happy I am to see Brother Barry Teague from Indianapolis, Indiana. Let's give him a great big hand. He is, amen, a good friend. And uh, he is from Moriah Apostolic Church, the church that my father pastors. And we, we're very glad you're here, Brother Teague. God bless you. And uh, we're going to go into the word of the Lord this evening. I want to talk to you uh, on the subject, the destruction uh, of distraction, the destruction of distraction. And I think many times we are uh, perhaps a little more concerned or, or focused on the devastation of destruction uh, that we don't realize the uh, similarity in the, the very simple matter of distraction. Uh, how many have observed in your own life the devastating consequences of distraction. Things that come up that you get a little averted by and you don't realize that they were sent to you by the enemy of your soul and that they have, that they cause problems that, that are not a part of God's plan or God's path for your life. God has a plan for you. God has a path for you to follow. There, the Bible describes that there is a way that seems, that's a big word, that seems right to a man. But the end thereof, of course, is death and destruction. But when you follow the way of the Lord, if you'll trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways, in all of your ways acknowledge Him, He shall direct your paths. And so we want to talk a little bit about the impact of distraction and, and the destructive nature of, of distraction. Uh, I want to begin uh, from the book of Isaiah and the 59th chapter. And I want to uh, read from the 19th verse, Isaiah 59, 19. And I want to uh, just talk about the, a couple of things concerning the enemy because it is the enemy who sends distractions. The enemy sends distractions our way in hopes of 
getting us off the proper path and sending us down a path that is, uh, of course, a, a path that would not be directed of the Lord. When we're talking about following God, walking with God, and being in the path of God, it's important that we understand that His is a narrow way. Okay, it's a narrow way. Uh, it's not a broad way. The broad way is a way that leads to destruction. But the narrow way leads to life everlasting. If you're going to walk the way of God, you're going to have to look for it. You're not going to accidentally walk with God. You're not going to stumble onto the proper path that God has for you. You will walk with Him deliberately and you will have to find and seek the path of God. Now there is a broad path and there are lots of people walking in it. It's so broad that you can walk on one side of it and somebody else can walk on the other side of it and you'd be walking the same path and never see them and not necessarily think you're on the same path as them. That's how broad of a path it is. It is a very broad pathway that leads to destruction. But this pathway that leads to life everlasting, it's narrow. And few there be that find it. And you're going to have to... It's, it's narrow in every sense of the word. You're going to have to duck stuff. You're going to have to step over things. You're going to have to dodge things. You're going to have to walk inconveniently, kind of put your back up against the tree line and kind of scooch around things. You like that word, scooch? It's a narrow path that leads to life everlasting. But, oh, Glory to God, it's the only way to walk. Because at life everlasting, it is just that. It's forever. This temporary, that forever. This a few years. It's but a vapor, but that forever. So walk the way of the Lord. Walk in the path of God. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19 talks about the enemy. And it answers, it helps to answer the question that we're asking which is this, how does the enemy come to us? How does the enemy come to us? Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 19 says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So the enemy... One of the ways that the enemy comes in is like a flood. The enemy comes in like a flood. Now, when we think of that, when we consider that terminology that is used, uh, it, you know, I'm imagining a powerful flow of water. Maybe a tsunami. Anybody ever been in a tsunami before? I'm watching to see raised hands. That would be very interesting. I might just give you the mic if you've been through a tsunami. That would be unbelievable. And nobody's considering that when they're out, you know, bouncing a beach ball back and forth or uh, sipping uh, some kind of a, a tea or, or, or Sprite while they're just enjoying this, this nice uh, sunny day on the beach. They don't consider that there could be an earthquake in the ocean that could Send a wall of water several miles inland and destroy life. And the Bible says the enemy comes in like a flood. Now we have seen footage of tsunami, of tsunamis and the devastation that arises from that. But, but I've never been through a tsunami. I've been through a flood, but I've never been through a tsunami. Uh, so what I want to talk to you a little bit is that not every flood that the enemy comes in with is going to be tsunami-like. You're waiting for the enemy to come in like, like the most devastating force you've ever known. And many times that's not the flood through which the enemy comes. Sometimes he comes in like a flood in ways that you and I would, would least expect. Anybody ever had a flooded basement? Not, I'm not going to hand the mic over now because there are more people that have been through that. 
a flooded basement. Many times you don't even know the basement has flooded until two days after the thunderstorm and you go down into the basement and you put your foot down and you're saying, oh my word, the basement flooded. The sump pump stopped working. The windows weren't sealed as good as they needed to be. And somewhere there was an open, somewhere there was a crack, there was an opening, there was some exposure, some vulnerability, somewhere where the water found a decline and it moved into that decline and it took its natural course into the parts of us that we don't always visit. We don't always go down into the basement. In fact, we usually only go down into the basement if there is, in fact, a tornado. That's when we go to the basement. Many times, we, that, that's the last place we will look, the last place we will go. I remember my dad uh, teaching on, on the matter of the soul, and he described the body and the spirit and the soul, and he described it like a house. And he said that the spirit was somewhat like the upstairs in a house, in a two-story home. And, uh, and, and that that was kind of a lofty place. And that we, we were somewhat familiar with it. But, but this, was the, this is where, the, where we, we operated in our most private of areas. But that our body was like the main floor. And that's, that's where, that was our most visible, most public forum for living. And, and the, the common areas of the house were typically on the main floor. And then he described the soul as the basement. And that the soul is usually trying to come out of the basement and try to be heard. Many times, you know, we even say it when people sing with a lot of passion and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of their inner being comes out. And we say they sang with a lot of soul. What we mean is, is that the, their, their innermost being came out in song. And that it was soulful the way that they sang. And so I think, this is a good, I think this is a good illustration of the way the body, the soul, and the spirit operates. And many times the flood that the enemy comes in like is a flood into the soul. Through the cracks and the crevices that aren't properly sealed. The parts of us that are receiving the least amount of attention. I remember in Indiana, we had opened a daycare and we were a few months into operating the, the daycare and uh, we had really uh, redone the whole basement of the church and it, was, it, was, it looked really good. Everything was, everything was just right. It had been a school for many years and then we changed it into childcare, into daycare and, and then the flood came. I will never forget the feeling I had when we walked down the steps of that church. And, and we looked down into the basement, and there are tw there's 12 inches of water all throughout the basement. And you just looked at it and thought, I don't know what I'm looking at. This is, this is devastating. This is horrible. And that's many times the way that the enemy comes in like a flood. It may not carry the whole house away. It may not carry cars away. But it, but it might inject your life with a nuisance, inject your life with a distraction that you were not prepared to face. And it can cause untold amounts of damage. This is why we cannot be ignorant of the devil's devices. This is why we can't allow the little foxes to spoil the vine, if you please. This is why we have to understand that the enemy has a motive and he has an objective. And he wants to destroy your life. And he wants to destroy the peace of God in your heart. And he wants to rob you of the most precious things that life affords through the grace of God. The enemy wants to take all of that away from you. Don't give him any ground to do so. This is what the Bible says. Neither give place to the devil. That's what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Abstain from all appearance of evil. 
Now that's what evil, that's, that's what the Bible knows about evil. The Bible doesn't say simply don't, don't uh, you know, enter into any covenant with evil. You can shake hands and enjoy and, and interact and enjoy one, one another's company with evil. No, no, no. Abstain from all appearance. If it has the appearance of evil, abstain. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's what the Bible says. Flee also youthful lusts. That's what the Bible says. Just because you don't hear it, just because you don't see it, just because you don't feel it, doesn't mean that the enemy isn't coming in like a flood. You're busy on the main floor. You're busy in the upstairs. You don't realize that the storm you're going through is actually causing damage in your soul. Causing damage in the parts of you that you don't really spend a whole lot of time visiting. And so distractions develop. I, I, we had a lot of plans. The daycare, we reopened it, but it took, it took a little while. <laughs> it took a lot of hard work. This building was 60,000 square feet. And, and, and about, uh, about uh, 20,000 square feet were in that basement. So we had 20,000 square feet, 12 inches of water spread across that to remove. And we had to do it in a very short period of time. And it was a, it was a lot of work. It was what you call a major distraction. Think about, this, think about this word, distraction. You know what traction is. Traction, you get footing. You get a grip. Look at your neighbor and say, get a grip. Get a grip. You spend your whole life trying to do that, right? Trying to get a grip. Did you know that you don't have a grip until you have a grip on a walk with God? That's, that's really the only place where your feet have sure foundation where you have strong footing where you have stable ground under your feet is in a walk with the lord hallelujah on christ the solid rock i stand there's a reason for that this is the reason all of the ground is sinking sand he is the only steadfast ground upon which we stand and the foolish man built his house on that sand the wise man is who built his house upon the rock. And when the floods came, the foolish man lost his house. And the wise man, his house withstood the same storm that the foolish man was overcome by. So when you walk with God, that's when you really have traction. You don't have traction unless you're walking with God. You think you got a grip on something. You let that thing be taken from you and you lose your footing. If your hope is built on anything but Jesus Christ, because listen, nothing can take away what Jesus did. Nothing can take away that pure and innocent life. Nothing can take away that innocent death. Nothing can take away that burial. Nothing can take away that resurrection. Nothing can take away the outpouring of his spirit. Nothing can remove what Jesus has done. That's solid ground. Now, everything else can fade. Empires rise, empires fall. Kingdoms are raised up, kingdoms are brought down. Businesses that once dominated industries no longer stand. And they are, they are parts and pieces of history that people of today don't even know about or remember because all of the ground is sinking sand. But on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. That's where you'll find traction. That's where your feet will find traction. The, the psalmist said that he became disillusioned and that his, his steps, his feet had well nigh slipped until he went into the sanctuary of God. You know that's why you're here tonight? So that you don't lose traction. That's what a distraction is. It's to get you to mess up in your walk with God. It's to throw your grip on life off it's to throw the grip you have on what really matters off and send you off course and send you awry and send you astray it's distraction hallelujah 
And the psalmist said, I, my feet had well nigh slipped until I went into the sanctuary of God. This is why we enter into the sanctuary of God. Both here and in prayer. You know, this, how many feel the presence of the Lord even right now? When we were singing that song, that was a beautiful song. And the presence of the Lord filled this room. And you, can, and, and you need to be at church so you can feel the presence of the Lord, so you can hear the word of the Lord, so you can get a grip, so you can gain good ground, so you can make positive steps in the right direction, so you can maintain traction and stay on the narrow path. Sometimes there are parts of that path that are so narrow it's like a tightrope. I can't even watch that. You know, you, that gentleman that walked across the Grand Canyon, I don't know if you saw that a couple years ago. Lord have mercy. I was, they, they showed that to me and I was, oh, whoa. Yes, Lord. Help him. I knew you, I, it was like, it, it, it had been done like several months earlier. I was still going, oh, Lord. Look, he almost fell. Oh, because there are some parts of this walk where there's no room for error, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to tell you something, and every one of us would have fallen off if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. Thank God for the mercy of the Lord, and thank God for the grace of God, and thank God for the power of God who keeps us and helps us walk. Hallelujah, this, this narrow way, the way that leads to life everlasting. So, so don't let the floods of the enemy Take their toll in your life. The Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. How else does the enemy come? John chapter 10, I'll invite your attention to John chapter 10. We'll read from the verse, the first verse of John chapter 10. How else does the enemy come? John chapter 10, verse number 1. Verily, verily. Those are two very important words. When he says verily, that means you better listen to this because this is absolutely true. When he says verily, verily, he like raises the volume level and shouts it to you. I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So how else does the enemy come? According to John chapter 10 verse 1, the other way that the enemy comes into our life is in this way. Some other way. You pick it. If it's not by the door, then it is a thief and a robber. Robs you of your peace, robs you of your joy, robs you of eternal life, robs you of the great gift that God would give to you, robs you of the treasure that is in that field, robs you of all of the good things of God. Some other way. And I find so many times we are in the habit of trying to figure out some other way. Is there some other way outside of, of, of loving God? There, there is a some other way, but that other way is the way of the thieves and the robbers. You won't be able to make it to heaven some other way. I am the door to the sheepfold. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Don't you, be, don't you be disillusioned or deceived by false prophets and false teachers who come along and suggest that there is a way outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no way outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there is another way, there are thieves and there are robbers that are climbing up through the ways that are not of the Lord Jesus Christ. He that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Don't look for another way than following Jesus. You can't find a way outside of prayer. You can't find a way outside of faithfulness. 
You can't find a way outside of holiness. You can't find a way outside of loving God and receiving his love and worshiping his name. You can't find another way. There is one, 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 one way to God. Hallelujah. And so the enemy will try to climb up some other way. He'll try to climb up through, uh, through entertainment. He will try to climb up through relationships. He will try to climb up through pet peeves, through preferences, through false doctrines. You know, we call them false doctrines, and that's, that's what they are, but the Bible gives them a more sinister-sounding name. The Bible calls them doctrines of devils. You know, that's where false doctrines come from. False doctrines aren't hatched in the mind of some scholar. Just as sound doctrine comes from the Spirit of the Lord, false doctrine comes from the devil. And so a false doctrine is a doctrine of devils. It is the teaching of the enemy. And the teaching of the enemy can be so persuasive and is so persuasive to the carnal mind. If your mind is carnal, you will believe doctrines of devils. You will. You will. But your, the carnal mind believes doctrines of devils. The carnal mind embraces doctrines of devils. And doctrines of devils lead people into the lake of fire. And so it is a destructive force. Distractions that come, they are a destructive force. Distractions come, it, it's, it's actually a, a military, uh, uh, it's a military uh, uh, strategy in the sense that, that many times when the, when the uh, opposing army is seeking to gain advantage, they will, they will endeavor to create a diversion. And that is so that they can, with the diversion, make one think that this is where the focus should be when in fact the real damage is being done where the diversion is not. And so many times the enemy will bring a distraction into your life to throw you off course and cause you to become consumed and overtaken by this particular thing that has developed. All the while the enemy is sneaking in some other way trying to wreak havoc in your life. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If you're trying to live life without God, you are, you are living recklessly and hazardously. There's only one way to live, and that is to say, Lord, I commit my way unto you. Keep my foot from falling. Keep me and strengthen me and lead me and guide me. Oh, thank God for the Holy Ghost. That's what Jesus said. He said, the Holy Ghost shall lead you and guide you into all truth. And the Holy Ghost shall bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I thank God for the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is able to rise up inside of me and say, Joel, don't go there. Joel, stop saying that. Joel, stop doing that. Joel, get back to church. Joel, pray, pray, pray. Get a hold of God. The Holy Ghost is able to lead me and guide me into all truth. And I don't want anything to distract me from what the Lord, hallelujah, would do in my life. Praise God. Praise God. So we resist distraction and we concentrate on the Lord. We concentrate our mind. We concentrate our spirit. We concentrate our body and our soul Upon serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians, or Colossians rather, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. Very important verse of scripture. Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, now my great-grandfather, he would, he would, if he heard anybody saying that they loved something besides Jesus, he'd call him out on it. 
They say, oh, I just love that car. We do not love cars. We love Jesus. Somebody set down some food in front. Oh, I just, I absolutely love pizza. We do not love pizza. We love Jesus. Set your affection on things above. Come on, get your heart focused on what really matters. Not on things on the earth. The things of this earth, hallelujah, will fade. They will fade. They will fade. And they will burn up with fervent heat. All the things of this earth. The Bible says repeatedly that it is vanity. It is vanity. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. This is of a trivial nature is what it's really referring to. Everything is of a, everything under the sun is of a trivial nature. What matters is eternal life. And I think it's interesting that he would say vanity of vanities saith the preacher. All is vanity. God forbid that preachers wouldn't call it out and say it's vanity. God forbid that preachers would get up and encourage people to set their affection on things on the earth. No, our affection is not on things on the earth. Our affection is on things above. We seek a heavenly home. So I'm not interested in what satisfies this flesh. And I'm not interested in what satisfies this ego. And I'm not interested in what satisfies this carnal mind. This ego, this flesh, this carnal mind believes and practices doctrines of devils. But when I trust in the Lord, Glory, hallelujah. And when I call upon his name and I ask him to take the leadership of my life. Do you know when you let God be in control, you have given him control. You want to give God control tonight? How many of you just want to give God control? Lord, I give you control. You know, some people are afraid to do that because they're afraid of losing control. You, listen, let me, you haven't lost control. You, if you were to lose something, anybody ever lost your keys? Yeah, yeah, that's a bad feeling, losing your keys, losing your wallet. That's a bad, losing your phone. I mean, that's 90% of your being. You are now body, soul, spirit, and phone. And now you've lost, you know, how do you make up for this, this loss? But when you, when you give God control, you haven't lost it, you know right where it is. It's in the hands of God, and you know it's in the safest place that it could be. And you know that whatever happens, hallelujah, it is in the perfect wisdom and will of God for it to happen, and that everything is going to be all right, and that his grace is sufficient, and that his strength is made perfect in weakness, and that you're going to be all right, and that your family is going to be all right, and that your mind is going to be all right, and that you're going to make it through this thing alive. Come on, I'm talking about giving God control hallelujah and letting the lord have his way praise god praise god so we know how the enemy comes the enemy comes like a flood it could be like a tsunami or usually and what's more common what we have experienced more of is the flood seeping through the cracks and the crevices stripping us of health and wealth, stripping us of joy and peace, coming through the vulnerabilities that exist in our spirit and in our soul and causing there to be widespread damage. How else does the enemy come? He comes in some other way other than Jesus. If the Lord isn't telling you to do it, don't do it. I'm going to say that again. If you didn't get the directive from the Lord, it's the wrong action to take. Our constant prayer should be, speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. God, I need to hear from you. Speak, Lord. I don't know which direction to go. I don't know what step to take. Speak, Holy Ghost. Your flesh is so deceptive, you can't trust your heart. You know what the Bible says about your heart? Let me tell you what the Bible says about your heart. It is desperately wicked. 
That's pretty bad, folks. He minces no words. Desperately wicked. And listen to this. Deceitful. Above all things. Your heart is more deceitful than any devil in hell. Deceitful above all things. Your heart is more deceitful than any temptation you've ever faced. Your own heart will deceive you before anything else will. And you need God to cleanse your heart and give you real righteous direction in life. Hallelujah. Somebody said, trust your gut. If you've got a carnal mind, do not trust your gut. And the reverse is true. If you're walking in the Holy Ghost, trust your gut. If you're, if you're, if you're walking with God, and I'm not talking about going through the motions, and, and, and you can come every Wednesday and every Sunday and not be walking with God. I'm talking about a real walk with the Lord. Then you can trust that the instincts that are leading you are the instincts of the Spirit of the Lord. So speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. So we know how the enemy comes. Why does the enemy come? Why does the enemy come? Well, maybe, maybe, he, maybe he's just misunderstood. You know, I mean, poor, poor guy, everybody's against him. Maybe he's just misunderstood. John 10 and 10 tells us precisely why the enemy comes, and there are, there are no other reasons. This is why the enemy comes. The thief cometh not. And let me remind you, these words are in red letter. So this is the, this is the, this is as sure as it can get, ladies and gentlemen. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's why the thief comes. And for no other reason. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. So when you're entertaining his thoughts, remember He's giving you those thoughts for one of three reasons. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. For three reasons. When you're entertaining his doctrines and you're believing his lies, remember, remember, you got to remember. Before you embrace that lie with all your heart, you better remember. He's feeding that to you for the purpose of stealing, killing, and destroying. And he can't do it without your permission. He cannot do it without your permission. I preached a message years ago called, Who Killed King Saul? Because King Saul, his death was such an, a mystery. And so, so it was like, who really killed him? Because King Saul is out on the battlefield at the end of his life. He didn't know it was going to be the end of his life, but it turned out to be the end of his life. And, and he is fighting with the Philistines. You know what's a tragedy about that? is that the Philistines were always the enemy. But Saul spent nearly his entire reign chasing a distraction. He was jealous of David. Why are you, why are you trying to kill David when David is the one who has authority over the Philistines who are trying to kill you? It's, 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 it's the most ludicrous thing that I have ever seen. And people do it all the time. They end, up, they end up giving license to the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And they end up pushing out the very thing that God gives them as peace in their life. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. And the Bible even describes it as a hireling. The Bible says that the hireling is not the shepherd. And that the hireling, as soon as he sees the wolf, will run because he cares not for the sheep. But the good shepherd will stay. This is why the Lord, this is why the Lord chose David. Because he said, that's not a hireling. He loves those sheep and he loves his father's flock. And he's going to care for them. And that's why God chose David. And so this, this hireling, in John chapter 10, after the Bible describes 
The thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. That's David. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. And David was a type of Jesus Christ. And he proved that he was a good shepherd when he refused to run at the first sight of a lion or a bear. But he fought for the life of those sheep. Now, you got to understand, the lion and the bear would have been happy to take the sheep and leave David. David could have run. And been fine. There was plenty. I mean, it was like lamb kebab. David could have hit the road and I'll see you guys later. Dad, you don't know how big, bad, and, and angry that lion and bear were. And, and Jesse would have, I don't know what Jesse would have done, but he probably would have been glad that his son was alive. But that's not what David did. David said, I'm not a hireling. I'm not just here to get money for watching these sheep. I'm here to protect the sheep. And so Saul has a problem with that guy and focuses his king's tenure on killing David. He literally puts him on the run, throws javelins at him, misses him twice. He's got him on the run. David should be on the throne. Instead, he is a fugitive from King Saul. All the while, the Philistines are the real enemy. And the Philistines are developing their weaponry and getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And Saul is distracted. He's distracted. He's distracted by his jealousy. He's distracted by his insecurity. He's distracted by his ego. He's distracted. He's distracted by his flesh. He's distracted. And the Philistines are becoming a war machine to be reckoned with. And then Saul goes out into the battle like he can take the Philistines and they're ready for him. Because he was focused on the wrong thing for too long. And they are ready for him. And the Bible says that the archers. The archers are the ones who, who dealt the first blow. And that arrow came flying through past all of the other soldiers. It had a target. The target was Saul. And the arrow of the archer struck Saul and knocked him to the ground. What you don't realize and what I don't realize in our flesh. And the Apostle Paul said, be not ignorant of the devil's devices. This is what we don't really understand. Is that the enemy has an arrow with our name on it. When the Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. We love to dance and shout about nothing shall prosper. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Get my praise on it. And what we forget is that there are weapons formed against us there's a weapons factory that has like Joel Urshan and his name on the weapons there are arrows complete with radar detection heat seeking missiles that that have my weaknesses encoded in them that have my 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 pet peeves, my preferences, all of my past and my background and my insecurities and all the issues I've got, the devil's got that stuff memorized. And he's got it encoded in this arrow. And he's got archers that I don't know anything about. I'm over here fighting David. What? David could destroy the archers. He has power over the Philistines, and I'm fighting David. I'm resisting God. While the Philistines are aiming their arrows at me, they let the arrow fly. It strikes Saul. He goes down, but he's not dead. Folks, let me tell you something. The enemy can fire everything he wants at you, and it can't kill you unless you let it. King Saul looked at his armor bearer and said, he said, slay me. And the armor bearer said, no, 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 no. I can't do that. I won't slay you. And Saul said, I'm telling you, man, if, if they catch me, they'll torture me. Please slay me. He said, no, I'll not touch God's anointed. I, can't. I was sent to protect you, not to kill you. And Saul took his own sword and struck it through. Fell on his own sword. 
The enemy can fire arrows at you and he can strike you and he can hurt you and he can wound you and he can knock you to the ground. But if you're going to die, you're going to have to participate in the death. Because no weapon formed against you can prosper. You have to give the devil license to take your life. You know Saul was still alive. I mean, he's trying to die. He wants it. And the devil's like, man, man, this guy won't go down. And he's still breathing. And along comes an Amalekite. Careful, you be careful with the Amalekites. Because the Amalekites don't have a Jewish background. The Amalekites don't really cherish human life like the Jews. Now this Amalekite was human. So he had feelings. He had empathy. He had sympathy. But he didn't cherish life. And when Saul is laying there, bloodied, beaten, bruised, broken, a victim of his own circumstances, and let me tell you, That's the way some of us are, and the devil still hasn't won. There's still hope. This Amalekite comes walking up, and Saul looks to the Amalekite and says to the Amalekite, take my spear and drive it through me. I'm begging you. And the Amalekite said, what else is there to do? There's no hope. He's going to die. If they catch him, they're going to torture him. So he had empathy, he had sympathy, but he was still of a worldly mindset, of a heathen mindset. And so he did what he thought was helpful, but he finished Saul off. You be careful who you hang around with. Because there are a lot of people who claim and really do want what's best for you. But they have no idea that when they encourage you to take that last spear in the side, that they're actually taking your life from you. I've seen a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people who, listen, listen, when you get, when you get hurt and you get wounded and you, and you need to go cry on somebody's shoulder, there are, a lot, there are a lot of people who don't serve the Lord who will gladly let you cry on their shoulder and they mean it and they're sincere and they'll in their power try to help you but if they don't know the power of the Holy Ghost they don't have the power to help you if they're not walking in the light of God's Word they don't have the power to help you and so the Amalekite Saul looks to the Amalekite would somebody help me and the Amalekite seems to have the answer I can end this pain right now I know how to end the pain but you don't cherish the life of God's anointed Glory, hallelujah. What you need is somebody who when you, they walk up to you and you're bleeding, broken, bruised, and you want to die, and you ask them to help finish you off, you need somebody who in the fear of the Lord says, no, there's still hope. You can still make it. You don't have to die like this. You don't have to go out this way. There's still hope for you. There's still hope for you. There's still life. There's still breath. There's still future. There's still hope in God. destruction in distraction there's destruction in distraction hallelujah turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your upon Jesus 
look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace oh turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of this Could you just close your eyes and look upon the Lord with your heart's eye right now? Oh, turn your eyes. Just close your eyes and get, get your mind on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. <laughs> Glory to the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And the this world will grow strangely in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, turn, oh, yes, Lord, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. My God, my God, my God. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world. Feel the presence of the Lord. Yes, turn 